This is Debak K-Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas, and I'm excited because I have for my guest today, I have Grace Jung. How are you, Grace? How you doing? Very good. Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Grace, you are a comedian, you're a writer, and you also have your own K-drama podcast called K-Drama School, which I love. I usually go there for a different opinion because you have such a different view on things. And I like remember distinctly listening to your The Glory episode and thinking, wow, I didn't think about any of this. So this is wildly uh, different. And it made me rethink the drama a little bit. So uh, for those who don't know you and don't know how you got started in K-drama, really quick, how did you get into K-dramas? And do you care to say how long? Because I know it's been a long time. But do you get to say, like, what was your first K-drama or? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the question of how a person gets into K-dramas, I think, is usually for non-Koreans. Because for me, it's like, there's no such thing as a K-drama. For me, there's just TV. Gotcha. Because I was born and raised in Korea. Mm -hmm. So how did I get into Korean TV is just, I would turn on the TV, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Right. Because that's just that was the media that I was exposed to from the moment that I saw a screen. So that is uh, how I got into it, I suppose. I mean, my first uh, exposure to Korean television that I have in my memory is like childhood programs. Like there was a a variety show like it's like similar to like PBS's Mm -hmm. you know Sesame Street or something it's called and uh, that used to be on in the early 90s so my parents would just leave that on and I would watch that as a kid so yeah for me it's there's no like intro to k-dramas or the Korean world it's just I'm Korean Mm -hmm. you know so That's the media that I grew up consuming. Yeah, this is wildly different from pretty much every guest that I've had on the show. Even if they come from Asian descent, they're like, I got into K-dramas at this age. I grew up here. And even though, you know, I was exposed to it, I didn't get into it until this time in my life. And this was my first Mm. K-drama and so on and so forth. So I really like that it's just part of your DNA. It's just how you grew up. I have a similar experience with um, novelas because I grew up watching Hispanic novelas on TV Mm -hmm. and they were, you know, wild and they have their own tropes yeah. and they have their own like actors that yeah. you see often and it's again like and a very whole different... comparable to k-dramas it I would is say, right? it is very comparable absolutely mm. so some mm. housekeeping before we get started if this is your first time listening go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, all of them if you like us please give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or spotify and come check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews you can find us on twitter instagram facebook and tiktok at Pod. and lastly if you're a fan the best way to be a fan is to become a patron it's a great way for you to get involved and show your support you can check out the page on patreon.com slash always and thank you to our patrons curtis bale cindy cd grace alana lorna lee and sammy you guys are great love you guys and without further ado we're going to get started on our review of go back couple and i'll get started by reading the asian wiki synopsis it reads, Choi Bando and Ma Jinju are both 38 years old and a married couple. Choi Bando has been burdened with being the breadwinner and Ma Jinju is a housewife with low self-esteem. Even though they loved each other when they married, they now hate each other. They both regret marrying at such a young age. The couple travel through time and find themselves as 20-year-old university students when they met for the first time. So this aired originally from October to November 2017. It's only 12 episodes long. It was directed by Ha Byung-un, and he's directed 18 again from 2020, which is probably a very good comparable for this show. And he recently, I guess later this year, he'll come out with Yijie Will Die Soon, which stars Park Sodam and So Eun-guk. It was written by Kwon Hye-ju, and she's written Hi Bye Mama, which is also a comparable to the show and the sound of your heart from 2016 to 2017 which starred Lee Kong-soo and Jung so so the cast um I hope you can help me out like just let me know where you've seen these two before because um I have like where I've seen them but this is like the first time that I've really kind of sunk my teeth into something that they've done it feels like so the show stars 
Dangnara as Ma Jinju, and she's been in like Sell Your Haunted House, Oh My Baby, VIP, The Last Empress, One More Happy Ending, Fated to Love You, which is like the big one I think everyone knows her from. Where have you seen Jangnara before? Yeah, I mean, where have I seen Jangnara? That question's also similar to like, how did you get into K dramas? In that she was just part of the world. Jangnara is known mostly. And originally, as a K-pop star, mm-hmm. she was a soloist, and she was hugely successful when she first began. I think she was starting in like the year two thousand, and she came out with this hit song at the time. I, I think it's like "Sweet Dream" or "Sweet Something," mm-hmm. but it's like this really like cutesy, bubbly, poppy song. I remember the music video with her wearing like pajamas and like, like a shower cap. I think, or <laughs> she had like I don't know, like pigtails, or it was just very like, very you know, sweet, sugary, girly, innocent. Mm-hmm. Like that was her image, and that's how she was branded and packaged. But Changnara was so busy. I remember her. It was like, I think two thousand or two thousand one. But she came out with like two dramas that one year. She had a she had two solo like so, two singles mm-hmm. that were out, and she was like extremely busy. In addition to that, she was also you know guest starring in a bunch of you know comedy variety shows. I mean, her schedule was insane. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she was also booking a lot of commercials. Right. Like TV commercials yeah. in Korea, they call it a CF, and so she was in a bunch of commercials, like 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 big ones, like like uh, beer commercials, this and that, and she was raking in a lot of money, and she was super busy, but she was also, and she talked about this much later, but she was also having like mental breakdowns because she they would not let her sleep. Her managers and her agents, like none of them were let let her sleep. Like she was a workhorse Mm. and she was completely exploited as this 19, 20 year old young woman just starting out in the business. Because, I mean, when you look at her now, Changnara is like she's like in her 40s now, Mm. but she has these big eyes. She has this like really petite face, like round cheeks. And she's so youthful looking and cute and adorable. It's like a very unique look. So like the Korean media could not get enough of her. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really worked her up. And so she talked about this on a a variety show that's no longer on air, but it's called Happy Together. It was on air from like 2000. I think like 2001 or 1999. It was on it was on for like almost 20 years. And uh right. she was a guest on that show talking about how her managers would just like not l- let her sleep for 5 days straight. This is why because she had to work. Yeah. And so she would just like these have these fits and throw things out of her van and she would have no memory of it of any of that behavior because she's, sleep she's deprivation. not in the right state of mind. Yeah. Extreme sleep deprivation, exhaustion, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. To this day, Changnara suffers from like panic disorders and anxiety disorders that stem from the work that she's done. Mm-hmm. So when I think of Changnara, I think of A, she is immensely talented. I mean, she is like, as a singer, as an actress, mm-hmm. as a performer, she is super professional. She nails it every time. Every time I see her on a show, I'm just like blown away by her performance. Mm -hmm. She's very good and she's very versatile and she has excellent comedic timing and she has excellent dramatic performance. Mm. It's difficult to do those two things in equal measure, but she's somebody who can. And at the same time, it's like given her talents, you know, it's like the industry. I mean, she's definitely a victim of the industry and yes. how inhumane and cruel it, it can be. And so for me, it's like, okay, on the one hand, she's very talented and, and she has this very impressive like repertoire when it comes to her filmography and her solo albums and her career, not just in Korea, but also in Japan. In China, she's huge. I mean, that's <laughs> mostly where Changnara made her money. Yeah. She makes it in China where they love her. So she's done also Chinese films. All right. So she's like this mega Hallyu international star but she's also a cautionary tale when it comes to self-care and boundaries and self-protection and voicing yourself when it comes to your needs like resting like eating like 
saying no. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so for me, it's like I have I have a very complicated emotional response when it comes to Changnara. But for Sonujun, he is like one of the funniest contemporary K drama actors right now. I would say he's not a comedian. He doesn't come from a comedy background. I think he's unique in that he doesn't even come from like a singing background. I don't think he's a K pop star. Right. Like he's not a he's triple just, threat. Like a lot of these. No, people. he's just an actor. Yeah. But he's such a great performer in every show that I've seen him in. He's just so funny. But at the same time, he's also somebody who can like handle the weight of a dramatic performance. Mm-hmm. Although probably not as not as seasoned as Changnara. Right. I think Changnara is better with the dramatic roles. But Son Hojun is very very funny. And this writer, she's written a sitcom. I mean, she's written sitcoms like writing like Sound of Your Heart. That's a sitcom. And Because of the writer's affinity with comedy, I think that is why she cast these two actors, Chang Nara and Son Ho Jun, because they're both so good with comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like you said, Son Ho Jun plays Tebando, and like I had basically never seen him because I only watched him in Reply in 1994 and hadn't seen much of his other work. So this was my first basically experience watching him in a in a K drama, and I was like. He's very good because, you know, yeah. you come in with like this notion of this character because he's not very likable at all, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you leave and you're like, oh, maybe I was like dead wrong about the whole situation, mm-hmm. and that's really tough for I think an actor to do when you're rooting for somebody else, you're rooting for another mm-hmm. character, and he's out here kind of changing your mind. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked both of them. I love Changnara, and I wish that I saw her more stuff. The last time I saw her was in The Last Empress, which was mm. I had no idea it was a, a crazy one. I had no idea it was a Makjang drama. Yeah, it's a it's like it's like the pinnacle oh of Makjang. The woman <laughs> the woman who wrote it has written many many Makjangs, and she's very famous for writing Makjangs. So yeah, that's a I had that's a crazy no one. I didn't know who was behind the yeah. lens. I didn't know who wrote it. I just yeah. started it. Uh, like on a whim yeah. and was completely that's a crazy one i didn't even i couldn't even finish it was very long that's a fee it's very stressful yeah. it was stressful, <laughs> it was stressful i was stressed it. you're right yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's mm-hmm. my experience with the the two leads and we do have a giant ensemble cast here and we can get into them maybe later but uh what did you think i think it's been a while since you've watched the show but what are your general thoughts on go back couple i mean I I was mostly watching it because I grew up as a fan of Changnara, so that was the draw for me. Mm. Son Hojun was just like an added bonus. I had seen Son Hojun in The Light in Your Eyes as well, which is a very small drama uh, with uh, Kim Heja, which you know who's like a veteran actress. Um, and I had also seen him with. Uh, What's her face with Song Jiyo in another drama? I think it's like Was It Love or something, mm-hmm. where he plays like this, you know, like it's like Oh, is he the father of my baby? Like that kind of thing, right? Okay, um, but he's he's in he's done work, but yeah, you're right. Like Reply 1994 is the big splash for him. Um, but yeah, I mean. The other draw for me also, it's usually the stars. The stars are mm-hmm. usually the draw for most K dramas. I mean, for any film or TV, it's like you go and watch it because you want to go and see mm-hmm. like Charlize Theron. You want to go and see Hugh Jackman. Right. That's why you go and see these movies. So it's like the same for any any media. But um, also, uh, what's his face? That tall, sexy guy. Jang you know Kyung, yeah. <laughs> Jang Kyung. So Chang Kyung was another draw for me because I had only seen him like once prior in an earlier show that came out like um, like uh, in 2014 I think it's called uh, That's Okay It's Love. Yes. And he played a very small cameo role in that show mm-hmm. and that's a show I I've watched many times. And I was like who is this tall sexy dude like <laughs> what's his deal and i think that was sort of that cameo appearance was like his like foray into korean television right, he was like, a model. as an actor yeah right so he comes as a model so he's not like a trained actor he's just a pretty face mm. on this show he was also just playing this model pretty face mm-hmm. 
But I was like, oh, he has my attention. Like, right. he's pretty cute. <laughs> Do I think he's a good of an actor? No, he's not. <laughs> not but I could role. see, I could see that, like, there's potential there. Like, oh, like, I could see that this, this is a star in the making kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he was also a big draw for me. And you're right. Like, you know, Son Jun's character is a dick. He's so, yes. like, selfish. And he's so, uh, you know just yeah like a selfish dude but so is so is Changnara's character I mean Jinju was also a selfish character like they are both flawed characters but the reason why I think you and I feel more for Jinju is because we're women mm-hmm. you know like that's yes. why and this is a show that was also written by a woman mm-hmm. and it, it's it's dealing with a lot of women's issues so that's why you know we feel a little bit more connected to Jinju's character than Pando but I was definitely rooting for Chinju to get with Changgyung. Oh my god. The whole time. The whole time. Yes. I was like, "No, leave Pando. <laughs> Go with the tall, sexy, rich dude. Make a better life for yourself. You have you get a second chance to start over." No, no, no. No, no, no. Stop <laughs> oh repeating god. the same mistakes. Right. right. So for me, it, like it was like if there's a message here, It's not that you should go do the same shit over again. It's like no, when you get a renewal, when you get a second opportunity mm-hmm. at life, do the crazier choice. Make the crazier decision. Right. Go and yes, you deserve that really tall drink of iced tea. Go get him, <laughs> you know? Right. Leave behind Chebando. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was my well that those are two of my questions I was going to ask you. Whose side were you on in the relationship? And yes, absolutely, I was on uh, Kangnara's side because, like, Kangnara's uh, side because we're women, but also her story was way better uh, explained and told, and you just feel so empathetic and sympathetic toward her plight. Her kind of doing the bulk of the raising of their child, and you know, Chebando is like not present at all, and. Yeah, he's hustling out here trying to make money and put food on the table, but like that's a very patriarchal like uh responsibility that he's put on himself. And you know, her character not to get too much into spoilers, but her character it places so much emphasis on him being present, on him just supporting her by her by him just showing up, right? Like bare minimum just be there. And he's like surprised he's he has like a revelatory experience toward the later half of the show where he's like oh yeah like i was never there and it's like (laughs) that's like bare minimum Mm -hmm. just be there and um that was very frustrating it's very like yes finally you got there homie but like it's very frustrating to watch when you're rooting for you know majinju like her character Mm -hmm. um and i wasn't like on his side So that like that answers that question. The second question, which you also like sort of answered was, who did you want her to end up with and why? And like, absolutely, I agree with you that you want her to end up with the second male lead because not only is he like a better, a safe bet on in the past, he's a safe bet Mm -hmm. in the future. She knows how his life turns out. It's a great Mm -hmm. life. He's like a billionaire or something like that. He's extremely successful, still single Mm -hmm. in the present day or whatever. And you know, why would she not try something different when she knows how the relationship could turn out? Like, she knows the worst side of Chebando, and she still mm-hmm. chooses to to sort mm-hmm. of go with that. So it mm-hmm. is quite a journey that they go on, and it's only 12 episodes. But um, did you have any thoughts on the OST? I thought it was just like a little bit like one song stood out and that was it but i don't know if you ha- if you mm. have listened to the ost since watching go go ahead go back couple yeah i mean i haven't seen the show from beginning to end like since it came out like six years ago but i did watch like the first couple of episodes just to refresh in, and what i noticed is that when they do go back like They're listening to these early K-pop songs that came out in the late 90s. And so I remember recognizing that and right. being like, oh, yeah, like, you know, so that's it's so it's kind of 
like an intertext for Sonojun in that, you know, in Reply 1994, there's the same thing. <laughs> right. Like they're playing these 90s songs and there are these like 90s fashions, mm-hmm. 90s, 90s trends when it comes to like pagers and cell phones. And, you know, right. So there was a little there was this like nostalgic retro sort of yes uh production design that was taking place that was familiar to me and what to me what that means is oh like the millennials who grew up from this era are now yes like at this stage like their parents their married couples their disgruntled married couples Mm -hmm. their couples that are thinking about uh, divorce Mm -hmm. and divorce in south korea is very very high it's like at least half of marriages end up in divorce and um you know like i think the show it's not really a matter for me when it comes to like oh am i on like the woman's side or the man's side like it's not so much about that what it speaks to is a a bigger sociological thing it's it's more than that it's actually a sociocultural thing in the sense that prior to uh Prior to this generation, like my generation, the millennial generation, Mm -hmm. divorce among Korean couples was completely imbued with shame. Mm. It was unspeakable to get a divorce. Even when I was a kid, like every every family around me, they should have been divorced. My parents (laughs) also should have been divorced. Get a divorce. You'll be happier. But no, they'll grit their teeth. They'll sleep in separate beds. They'll ignore one another for years at a time Mm. and wait till the kids graduate from high school. For what? Because they are too ashamed to get divorced Mm. because people might badmouth them. But this is a different generation. It's where divorce is very much an acceptable part. It's in fact the norm. Mm And so this couple is at this breaking point. They're like, well, I mean, we got to think about divorce. But they also are flawed in that they have expectations of each other, which shouldn't exist in a loving relationship of any kind. Mm-hmm. To maintain an expectation of another means you will be disappointed. Right. It means you will end up getting a divorce. It means you will not be living a life that is your own because you're constantly you know, you're you're basically turning this person and this person's disappointments into your world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're orbiting around this guy and all of his, you know, shortcomings. That's what your life becomes. It's you giving up your power. And that's what the couple are doing, you know? Like, Jinju's mad that, that Pando forgot their anniversary. Pando can't even think about the anniversary because he has this asshole of a client who exploits and abuses him. And not only that, but the client's wife exploits and abuses him. I mean, he is really entangled in their marital mess Mm -hmm. to make a living because his job is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And when we go back in time, we realize becoming a pharmaceutical salesperson wasn't his dream career. He was obsessed with cinema. Mm -hmm. It was movies Mm -hmm. that he loved. That was his passion. So I think the going back is not just a journey in their romantic thing. I think that is very much like a secondary thing. I think it's going back and reclaiming who they are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as as a self, as an identity. Who am I? What were my joys? What were my passions? What were my dreams? Who was I when I didn't have the responsibility of other people's needs Mm -hmm. and I think that reclaiming is perhaps the lesson here you know it's not even about the marriage and the love it's really about you know Jinju going back and reclaiming who she is it's about Pando going back and reclaiming who he is and it's saying unless you are whole in your individuality you will never ever be satisfied because you're always going to be trying to fill that gap with somebody else and that's just not how it works yeah so i agree with you like to the max because Mm -hmm. what i found most compelling about the show wasn't necessarily their relationship and how it turns out it's them going back and rediscovering themselves rediscovering like the joy of life and of the innocence of like not having anything to do not having any responsibilities like what do you do to fill up your days when there are no bills when there are no responsibilities what is your like default and they had to get back to that and you know going back to the the youth thing i love when um people sort of revert or have these like 
supernatural things happen to them and then they have to reassess their lives and reassess what they used to do, what they used to like. Youth is a time of hopes and promise and dreaming and potential. And like you said, like his original dream was to be Korea's top movie director and win awards and acclaim. And somewhere along the way, that just got lost. It fell by the wayside. And there is something really enticing about just rediscovering um, that joy and that innocence and youth and just the energy of when you didn't have all of these responsibilities, when life didn't beat you down. It's very much like, I like um, the movie Hook, for example, does the same thing where he like has to re-examine and get back to his youth and reconnect with his inner child. And it's very much the same thing for the show for both of them. And they go through slightly different journeys and it's very emotional to watch that. And it's emotional to see them reconnect with each other as well through the course of the Mm -hmm. show. Um, The last thing I want to talk about before we cut for, for just a brief spoiler section is what do you think the show is saying about motherhood and parenthood? Because I feel like that was a huge theme throughout the show because, you know, her relationship with her mother is so integral to like who she is as a person. And she didn't realize it until her mother was, was gone and out of her life and her being a mother herself. And then going back to her 20 year old self, like that causes some craziness in her, in her psyche. And she's very distraught and upset cries every night because she misses her child she wants to be there she doesn't know how to get back they don't know how to break the magic the spell so I'm wondering how you felt about the portrayal of motherhood in the show versus fatherhood especially because Choi Bando like doesn't really like it takes a few episodes for a hint to remember oh yeah we have a child and yeah what are we going to do about that because even if I want to stay and make some changes here I'm I still have a child you know I have a future mm-hmm. with a child. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really weird. The fact that, like, Pando just <laughs> forgot that he's a dad. It, it just, that didn't seem convincing to me. <laughs> or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe he's a shitty dad. Right. Who knows? Right. I really, I don't know. Uh, the whole thing with Chinju, like, that was weird, honestly. I was like, this is a little weird. Mm. This is, like, this is too much crying for me. Like, <laughs> Chang that is probably exhausted. This looks really tiresome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, like the only way to abstract that into a, a relevant kind of sphere for me personally is just to think of it as like, okay, perhaps this is like an inner child work thing. Mm-hmm. Perhaps this is, you know, because like Pando has like a very specific point. It's like, oh, my dream was to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I love cinema. It's like, it's very specific, but Changnara, I her character, I don't remember her having yes, that. She I mean, doesn't. What was it's like Yeah, what was wait, her so your dream was to be a mom? I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. There's right. some women, they their dream is to be a mother and they want to be a caretaker and they want to put all of their life and energy and focus into that, and that is noble and awesome. Good for you if that is the case. And perhaps that is the truth for this woman. But I was like, okay, but is that is that really truly it? Um, and if it is okay, but it, I can't relate to that because I'm not a mother. Right. So I just think of it as like, okay, maybe this is her doing like inner child work to perhaps recover from a trauma because like when she's in her present day, her mother is not there. Her mother is passed away. Mm-hmm. She's missing. But in this like redo, she's with her mother, but she's also, well, now missing the fact that she herself is a mother. Right. So I don't know, like whatever that journey means, like I'm not sure what it is mm-hmm. with the representation, the representation of motherhood. I don't even know. But what I do know is that like uh, when it comes to Korean media, I mean, this whole thing of like motherhood and moms, this like sort of Maria, the right. St. Mary right. kind of figure, the, yes. the sacrificial mother right. to make you cry your eyes out <laughs> till you barf. That yeah. is definitely a thing that Korean television writers know how to use mm-hmm. to manipulate your emotions into crying and to turning the show into a melodrama. Right. So it's, for me, it's like that is just used as the melodramatic uh, tool in this romantic comedy. Right. 
Right. I feel like that was definitely more of the melodrama. And it wasn't necessarily like Tangnara with her um, kid. It was her relationship with her mom, who is played by the fantastic Kim Mi-kyung. I love her. She's one of the greatest ajumas who ever graced our K-drama screens. I love her. And, you know, I feel like that's the best part of the show. Like the... (laughs) The love story, story, so to speak, between her and her mom and reconnecting and her just being so appreciative and grateful of her mom. And her mom's like, what's gotten into you? I didn't get that. Did so, you try again? <laughs> sorry, that was my phone. So anyway, my my instinct is to say that, like, yes, absolutely in the baseline, the sanctity of like motherhood is ever present in this show. And it is like part of so many K-dramas and so many writers use it to emotional effect and it's not not any different in this show but I don't know I just felt like it was really um something to behold her and her relationship with her mom especially knowing like what the future holds for them and her trying to change it and she can't she feels helpless so it's it's a lot (laughs) um what would you rate the show out of five told you bottles if you five being like the best and like zero being terrible oh I mean, do I have to? <laughs> you don't have really... to. You don't have to. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna say no to that because I just, I, I don't like rating shows with stars and stuff. All it's right. just to me, it's like, yeah, the show, the show is meaningful to me in some aspects, and in other aspects, it, it's not as much. But mm. yeah, definitely meaningful. For okay. Sure. Yeah, I found that it was really lighthearted at times, and obviously a, a lot of melodrama at times. And the motherhood stuff was really touching for me. And I would probably rate it maybe like four out of five soldier bottles because I just like really enjoyed it. Mm. And it was perfectly uh, paced, I thought. Like it probably could have been even shorter than 12 episodes, but I thought 12 episodes was like proper. We're done. We're leaving. So episode count was good, pacing and all that. And uh, yeah, so I think we're going to just jump into spoilers really fast. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you want to come in? Okay, we're on the other side of spoilers, guys. So anything goes. And I know that we've talked a lot about just the journeys of the characters already and what they've gone through. But I do like that. The show. Let's talk about, I guess, a little bit about what's the what's the difference between love and familiarity? Because I feel like I wasn't quite clear on them getting back together. Was that because they actually loved each other, or was it that just because they had been together for almost twenty years, and so they were familiar with each other, and they sort of had an action plan of what they were going to change and how they were going to love each other differently now. Did you have any thoughts on that? Wait, what was the question? Do you think it was either they got to back together because of love or because they were oh, just right. f- familiarity? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Love and familiarity. I mean, you know, I mean, is there... I guess there is a difference. It's a very minute difference. But in Korean, there's this word called chung. Uh, it's, I guess, um, it's pronounced the same as my last name, but the Sino-Korean character is written differently. It stems from the Chinese uh, character, chung. So the Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans know what this word means. And it means... Um, it's similar to love and familiarity. Mm. It basically means a feeling or an affection that develops between people over a course of time. Mm. So time plays a very big role in developing chung with somebody. Right. So whereas like, I mean, Korean parents from a different generation, like an older generation, they would never go around saying, I love my wife. Mm. I love my husband. I mean, they wouldn't do that unless perhaps, you know, they were a romantic couple. If that's the case, then okay, great. But it was more, that was more of an exception rather than the rule. The rule was, you know, they would say, 정들었, 정들었다, or 정들었어, which means 
like, damn it, now I'm attached to you. You know, like, <laughs> damn it, now, now, now right. my heart, now my heart is attached to yours. You know, so it's like, mm. that comes with time. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, you know, even, even when like, you know, when you watch these like reality shows, like, you know, like on, on MTV or, or whatever, like they would like be in one house, like the real world, like they'd be in one house, right? And they would just like eat and fight and drink and <laughs> yeah. sleep. And then at the end, they would all cry because they have to go home and they're like, <laughs> oh, but let's stay in touch. That's Chung. Right. They're never going to stay in touch. All of them hate each other. They're not in touch anymore. Mm. Trust me. Mm. They're not. They just ended up like it's this collective union that ends up happening mm. when you're just around one another. You just get attached. Right. You just start to feel like an affinity and an affection and a kinship. And it's like, oh, so-and-so feels like my mother in a way. He feels like a father in a way. They remind me of my brother. They remind me of my best friend. They remind me of a guy I dated. They remind me of a woman I know. Mm. And it just becomes like this little mixture, like a pool of affection and familiarity that develops. And is that love perhaps in some shallow sense it is Mm. but is it love 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 in the sense that like with a capital l like all acceptance unconditionally (laughs) no it's not right it's not Mm -hmm. so yeah i would say that with these people perhaps it's closer to chung Mm. more than just pure romantic love right and it's also duty it's a duty. It's a parental duty to return to yeah. their baby. Yeah. I think that yeah. is motivating their togetherness. Mm-hmm. And it's like if that is the agreement, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Go ahead and honor that agreement. It's okay. You mm-hmm. know, like I mean, not every relationship needs to be based in love. It doesn't. You know, and for for them, I think it's more based in duty for the family. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like the show is definitely all about upholding these values, right? Where it's like the family unit comes above everything else and we need to preserve the family. And it feels like it goes back to what you were talking about before the spoiler break about how the previous generation would just grit their teeth and, and stick it out just to never get a divorce, not just to avoid the stigma around getting a divorce, but also to keep this shit together, you know, like we need to really rally here because we've committed to doing this thing. And like, whether it's raising a family or just, we made a promise and like, you're stuck with me, whatever the case may be, that feels like that's also in the DNA of them getting back together at the end of the show, which I found completely like in some ways I was like, wow, thank God. And then other ways I was like, well, why she could have went with Mm. the second male lead who, Yes, he wasn't fleshed out. Yes, he had typical mommy and daddy issues at home. But like, it could have been different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think, uh, I think, I mean, there are two things that come to me. I think the reason why it had to end that way is because of Jinju's maternal commitment. That's Yes. And to honor her maternal commitment, she has to go back and she has to be with Pandu because otherwise it's it means to lose her baby. Mm-hmm. Right. And for her, that was her that was her, you know, her her destiny, her fate. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to honor that. The other thing that comes to me now is the fact that this show aired on KBS, which is Korean Broadcasting Mm -hmm. Systems, which is a public broadcaster in South Korea. Public broadcasting means that the show that airs on that channel must serve the public, meaning it has to be informative and have moral standards. Mm -hmm. It has to honor family values. And that's the reason why this show has the ending that it does. If it was on TVN or JTBC, oh my God, it'd be way fucking crazier. Right? Way crazier. It would be like over the top, hallucinatory. (laughs) I mean, Jinju probably would have ended up with Chang Gyeong's character. But because this is on a family channel, like mm -hmm. a public broadcasting station, and it's oriented towards the family, it upholds values like don't get a divorce, mm-hmm. you know, commit to each other. Right. You can get through this, stay with the baby. <laughs> and that's also tied to South Korea's national issues, like the giant decline yeah. in birth rates, mm-hmm. the giant, you know, spike in divorces. And yeah. all of it is tied to the government's needs for their demographics. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this came out in 2017, but the statistics has only gotten worse in that department for for Korea and the birth rate. And it's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that because it aired on KBS, it was a little bit more tame, I guess, in terms of storytelling and in terms of how this thing ended because she could have gone with Chang Kyung and like they had really great moments together. I don't know if you remember some of these, but like he takes her home in a taxi ride because she mistakes his car for a taxi and she like shakily like gives him a credit card to pay. It's 1999. There are no credit card machines. So he just like looks at it and gives it back to her and takes her home like no questions asked she had just rejected him because he's quote unquote smelled like sweat and he just like takes her home silently and like that's it he's very like gives her what she needs whether it's space whether it's just a ride home and he saves her on this like downhill slope because she's falling and it's very like k-drama moment yes it's very tropey yes we saw it from 50 different angles but you know, that sort of thing was built into the second male lead relationship. And it wasn't until the latter episodes that, you know, Bando started coming back into the the frame here and he like ditched his first love who he tried to get with and was like trying to get back into her good graces. And yeah, a lot of the, you know, things that Bando actually does for her are things that he had done before. You know, he got her... um uh, pads at the grocery store and he got her um, menstrual cramp uh, medication because she had her period and she he knew that she had really bad cramps and he like massaged her back and like this these kind of motions that are not new to the relationship they might even be habits at this point and he's just like doing this for her and it sort of bridges their relationship more especially when you know she's trying to think through like do I need to go pursue this second male lead or should I just it's kind of a mother relation mother's relation motherly relationship with him it's not very romantic at all so this sort of thing it was interesting to me to see how like yeah almost like the writer was affected like halfway through the show they were like yo you gotta back it off because the second male lead is looking too good and she needs to get back with her husband so mm-hmm. it was like almost like yeah. a 180 they just stopped. Mm-hmm. She just stopped writing stuff yeah. about, you know, Jung Kyung's character. And she just went full send on uh, the husband's character. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't but know. I think that setup was just made from the beginning. I mean, like, I didn't turn on Go Back Couple thinking that they were not going to be together. Mm. It's like, that's a very obvious thing. It's like, well, they're the lead. Right. <laughs> they're breaking <laughs> up, but they are going to be back together. Like, that's a given. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I thought it was interesting how Jinju says, I don't want to date you because you smell bad. Uh And to me, that's like very, very telling of the fact that they will never end up together. Because, I mean, pheromones is a big part of chemistry between people. And if if you're not attracted to somebody, you will never, ever be attracted to that person. There's no lying about it. And yeah, like, was Namgi a lot more romantic towards Jinju by meeting all of her maybe female fantasies in a way? Yeah, way better than Pando in a lot of ways. But... It's like, I mean, she's in a, 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 you know, a young college girl's body, but she's mm-hmm. an ajumma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, she's a middle-aged woman. And middle-aged women don't give a crap about romantic blah, blah, blahs. They really don't. She they really, want comfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They want comfort. And Pando knows what comforts her, mm-hmm. like a massage, like going out and running an errand. That's what she wants and needs at this point. Mm. So... It's like the whole like fatalism theme is very big in there. It's like if it's not fated to be, mm-hmm. it will never, ever be. No matter how good yeah. the package looks. That's, yeah, all over K-drama. But yeah, absolutely in this show. I think what really didn't sell me on Pando was like he always put her down. And he was always like, oh, yeah, you're not pretty. Oh, yeah, you don't look good in that. Why are you wearing that? You're an ajima. Kept calling her ajima. And it's like, these things are not, like, she obviously feels very um, low self-esteem, like the, like the synopsis said, and he's not helping her at all 
trying to overcome that or foster some sort of self-esteem, make her feel good, make her feel loved or appreciated. And the May Queen competition that she competes in, she didn't originally, but now that she's back in 1999, she decides to compete in the May Queen competition. And all the guys are swooning and like Pando is mesmerized by her on the stage. But again, before that, just before that, he was belittling her. He all over the show, it seems like he wants to win over her in some way, put her in her place. And it was so disheartening to see her to see him burst her bubble time and time again. Hmm. So yeah. that was like, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting observation because like for me, again, again, just going back to just me being like culturally Korean. I mean, I'm Korean American, but I'm culturally Korean as well. And it's just like being like roasty and ribbing is a bit of a love language mm. among Koreans. Like Interesting. I mean, I'm a I'm a comic now, so I'm definitely with my tribe. Like we're always putting one another down with love and all of it are they're all jokes, but we can be vicious. And I mean, when my comedian friends rib me and roast me, I mean, I find it so funny, like, and I feel so loved and seen by them when they, when they call me out on stuff or, Mm. you know, like make fun of me, like, and rip me a new one. Like there's, I get no better, greater joy than when my closest friends do that to me. And it's like, yeah, it's problematic in a sense because, uh, you know, abusive words do end up taking a toll. But in another sense, it's like a habitual thing that Korean, especially Korean couples do to one another, thinking and believing that that is love, that that's a love language. And I think a lot of couples, especially when they're older, mm. they have that sort of routine with each other. And I kind of noticed how you brought up the word self-esteem multiple times on this recording whereas I never once wondered about her self-esteem at all Mm. and in the case with Jinju I think she had to go back and confront this whole like baby thing and inner child thing because she was not good at loving herself Mm -hmm. self-esteem is not an issue of other people ultimately Self-esteem is an issue of can you love and accept yourself for who and what you are in this present moment fully and unconditionally? That's all it is. And it's if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, well, there are tools and there are ways that you can get yourself to that place. And it will never, ever, ever come from a husband. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I think that Ma Jinju was, for me, I saw her constantly crumpling whenever he would put her down or say these ribbing comments to her, especially like going back in time, obviously in the future or I'm sorry, in the present day, she was not laughing. She wasn't entertained. She wasn't feeling loved when he would do that to her. And in the past, she almost took matters into her own hands. And she was like, well, even if you don't think I'm beautiful, everybody here does and maybe I am and like she accepts it for herself and participating in the May Queen competition was more for her because she didn't even win and she was she felt good about it she felt good about um performing and singing which again like that's in her wheelhouse anyway in Changnara's wheelhouse but um yeah that whole competition and the way that you know just her developing um some confidence on the stage was making him fall for her again making Pando like rethink and like he was like oh my god he turned to other people and he was like does she look amazing to you or what and they were like no not everyone looks like that like she looks really good so again it's just like I don't know why he wouldn't think to maybe change yes it's a love language to some people but it definitely didn't seem like a love language to her and I think yeah, what we can... But, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, just to add, I think it just means, again, like, it doesn't matter what Pando thinks. It doesn't matter what Pando says mm-hmm. or does. When it comes to a healthy self-esteem and a healthy ego, it's up to Jinju herself to go and find that. And participating in 
events like the May Queen or a talent show or going and finding her own thing, right? Mm -hmm. That is going to be the means to attaining a self-esteem and a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. And no matter what Pandu says, wouldn't shake her if she had that that solidity in her. Mm. Like I'm saying, like when my comedian friends rib me and tear me down, it's funny as hell. I'm not shook by that. Because you don't have those, not in that the least. issue, but yeah. Because I don't give a crap mm-hmm. what anybody says or thinks about me or my body or my opinion. Doesn't matter. I like it. I love it. I love the way I am. So go off. It's okay. <laughs> That's the point. Mm-hmm. That's why she had to go back. That's why she had to confront her past in that way. Because she was lost. She was totally disconnected from who she was. All mm-hmm. she could do was cry about her dead mother or cry about how her husband's not meeting her needs or cry about how her baby's missing. That's all she could do. <laughs> it always had to do with other people missing. But it's like, no, no, no. Nobody is going to fill that up for you. You got to go it and get it yourself. So to me, Pando, it didn't really bother me as much. Yeah, I think she there's a scene at the beginning of the show where she is out and about with her baby in the stroller and she has like a stain on her shirt and she looks really run down and she's self-conscious by just one person like looking at her. She feels very self-conscious. She tries to hide the stain and you know, it's all about, I think in the past, like you said, it's going back and just finding that place where she feels beautiful all on her own mm-hmm. and absolutely like feeling beautiful in the present day, like ha- had nothing to do with like Bando at the end of the day and had everything to do with her and how she saw herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wish like go really quick like going back to that note that you were like she doesn't really have a dream when she was in her 20s and I do feel yeah. like that's a miss on the show because like Tevando had such a clear like oh I love movies he had yeah. all these movie posters which were mm-hmm. great to see like he had yeah. Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall and Titanic mm-hmm. and Truman Show and Ghost and Leon the Professional yep. all these different movie posters yeah. and you could tell that he was a movie buff and he really mm-hmm. like that was part of his personality mm-hmm. and in going back she didn't have like these touch points that you were like oh she liked to do this or oh she was into Mm -hmm. that back then she had this dream and it wasn't explicit that she wanted to be a mother either so I was like Mm -hmm. I don't really get like what the what her what she was aiming for she was a history major but like she didn't seem that interested in history either Mm -hmm. so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that yeah. was... Yeah, and I think I think that's the reason why she had self-esteem issues. That was the reason why when she's an older woman, like she feels like she's empty and missing and it, there are all these gaps. Mm. And it's like, I don't think the show was trying to fault her for that. No. I think the show was just revealing... To, no, it was just revealing to everybody. It's like some people at a certain point in their lives look back and realize that their life has been that empty that mm. that they've been dictating <laughs> right. their whole lives around fears and expectations of other people mm-hmm. and it could it could happen at age 7 or it could happen at age 70 it mm-hmm. doesn't like there's no way to know and it's like for some people like when they reach that pinnacle of divorce a lot of the times it's that i have i have i have friends around me now who are getting divorced because they're like, I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening in Jinju because it's like, she didn't know who she was Mm -hmm. and that's why she felt lost all the time. But what she did know is once she became a mother, it's like, now I know who I am. Mm. Now I know I have a sense of purpose. And it's like, that is just as honorable and okay, you know? And that's why she had to go back. So the show is actually very nuanced and complex and being able to deliver some kind of painful truth that could actually be devastatingly traumatic when a woman, especially in her late 30s or mm-hmm. mid 40s or whatever, when they suddenly confront that. And that's actually the case with a lot of Korean mothers, a lot, like countless Korean mothers, because patriarchy is so like such a stranglehold in that country. Mm. So I want to wrap up with just looking at some of the comedic bits because you're a comedian. And I don't know if you remembered some of these things, but they, mm. uh, I think the friends had like a Bruce Lee outfit going on for much of the show and they even comment on it. Mm. And that was uh, pretty funny to see the long hair on Yikyung, 
who plays the character yeah. Dokje. I don't know if yeah, you remember amazing. that scene, how they revealed it. Um, yeah. They were being punished in their... Um, it's not a club. It's like their major. Uh, they okay. were... I can't remember. Engineering. I think they were engineering majors. And they were being uh-huh. punished in a, in one of the classrooms. Uh-huh. And they were like, man, I, I just wish that a girl would like come through and save us because they were like this whole thing will end if like by some miracle a girl walks in the room and they think that a girl's walking up into the room and it's actually yeah. Yi Kyung because he looks his yeah. silhouette looks like a girl which is a pretty yeah. nice bait and switch um yeah com- comedic wise i thought it was really funny um yeah the flashback of her getting freaked out by the ghost in the library which isn't really a ghost at all and they mm. put the psycho musical score over top of it which i thought was brilliant hmm. it's not even like the actual hee, hee, hee. it's like mm-hmm. the opening credits of psycho which i thought was like mm-hmm. <laughs> who's gonna know this is particularly a psych from the psycho movie um yeah and then they spoofed two K dramas as well they spoofed goblin um they started playing like the beautiful life song from Goblin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they also spoofed Descendants of the Sun with like a clear rip. She drops a handkerchief and the guy comes and looks uh, all the part of Song Ki. And mm-hmm. I thought those were really good moments. Did you ha- did you have any mm-hmm. moments that you remember being really funny to you? Um. I mean, like, again, the writer is a comedy writer. She's a sitcom writer. So it's like, that's a given, Mm -hmm. I feel like. Um, Comedic, not so much, but perhaps like a satirical sort of moment that I appreciated on this show Mm -hmm. is the scene, I think it was in episode two when uh, Jinju's walking somewhere and a guy on campus grabs her by the wrist and yanks her towards him and he's a stranger she doesn't know who he is but there's like a slow motion effect it's like romanticized but she's like not responding in a romantic way she's kind of like what the hell you know and i was like oh this is great because they're the the creators of the show are spoofing on that trope Mm -hmm. of the wrist grab Mm -hmm. like to like for me i I bark about it all the time on my podcast, but I hate that moment because it's like, <laughs> first of all, why? How dare you? Right. Like, right. that's her. That's her wrist. Yeah. Like, why are you yanking her around? Toward, that's very aggressive and violent yeah. and unnecessary. Right. It's not cool, you know. And the show was satirizing that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. This is in Korean dramas all the time, and they frame it in a romantic mise-en-scene, but it's not okay. Stop doing it, you know? (laughs) Right. And so I appreciated that moment. Yeah, I like that moment, too. Um, We need to have more, like, we need to do satire on more tropes. But, yeah, that was a really good one. Um, Well, I think we're coming to the end of the episode, coming to the end of my notes. So do you have anything to add before we uh, get out of here? I have a podcast called K-Drama School, which you can go and visit at kdramaschool.com. I also have a book that will be coming out early in 2024. Uh, It's called K-Drama School, and it's a pop cultural inquiry into Korean TV dramas and why we love them. So you can visit my website, kdramaschool.com slash book. And if you want to subscribe on the email, you will get a pre-order link once the book is out. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, please support me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Grace. I really appreciate it. And that's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been the Debaki Rambles podcast. (laughs) 